Hello, I'm Tony Payne, and welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth, where we look at every aspect of the Christian life, our corporate life, our family lives, our lives in the world, all from the perspective of Christ crucified and what the scriptures say about that. And this is the second in a little three-part series that I started last week, thinking about different aspects of our church meetings, particularly now that many of us are heading back to church and almost approaching normal church again. At least that's the way it's starting to become in my part of the world. Not sure what it's like where you are. But for many of us, we've been without church for a while, certainly without normal church. And now that it seems like that possibility is approaching again, it's a great time to pause and rethink what we do when we get together. And in particular, three aspects that I'm going to look at in this little series. The first one, last week, was on our church meetings, the structure and order of our church meetings, and how to lead better church meetings. Uh, Today is about an aspect of our singing together. And next week, I'm going to think about the live stream and what we do with the live stream now that we're back together in church, whether we keep it going or what should we do. Now, this is one of the free public episodes of The Painful Truth. It comes out every three weeks or so. Uh, Not sure if you've noticed or realised this, but there are other episodes that come out in between these free public ones. So there's an every weekly edition of The Painful Truth. And to get that weekly edition, you need to be a partner. You need to be on the partner list. And you do that by going over to the website. That's thepainfultruth.online, thepainfultruth.online, and signing up to be a partner. It costs a few dollars each month, and that supports the writing ministry that I do, not only here at The Painful Truth, but in other things that I do as well. And if you do sign up as a partner, all the previous editions, including last week's on how to lead better church meetings, and the bonus meeting templates that I also sent around by email to everybody. All those things are available to you as well and available on the website. So you might like to think about that. And of course, if you'd like to sign up to that every week list, the partner list, but you aren't in a position to do so, just you haven't got the readies at present to chip in financially, that's fine. I do understand. Uh, Just send me an email at tonyjpain at me.com. And just say in the email, please put me on the every week list. That's all you have to say. No need to explain. And I'm very glad to take care of that. I don't want anyone to miss out for financial reasons. But let's turn to today's topic, the second in this series about getting back to church. And this one's about singing and about making God bigger. Is it possible for singing to make God bigger? Well, the answer to that strange question begins back in the mists of time when dudes with Sony Walkman roamed the earth and I was at Theological College. For younger listeners, a Sony Walkman, it's that retro personal music player that Chris Pratt was so obsessed with in Guardians of the Galaxy. That's a Sony Walkman. And back in 1994, when I was at Moore College and studying the Old Testament, Sony Walkman were quite the thing. And in that year, as part of my studies, I was set the task of assessing the content and function of praise in the book of Psalms. Now, this was a lot more than an academic exercise for me. My years in the charismatic movement weren't all that far in the rearview mirror, maybe a bit more than a decade. And as with many aspects of my neo-Pentecostal youth, I had a sneaking feeling that I had some relearning or some unlearning to do about praise, and so it proved to be. 
I think I'd always thought of praise as a personal or, I guess, corporate expression of adoration or devotion to God. I praise you, O God, was a way of saying, I'm in awe of you. I just want to express how much I honour and love you. You're the best and the greatest, and so on. And so when we all got together and sang, I will praise you, O God, or we praise your holy name, or similar kinds of things, then that's what we were doing. We were praising. To say it was to do it. And the more we did it, the more God was praised. And hence, I guess, the 40 minutes of singing pretty repetitive I Will Praise You songs that used to kick off most of our charismatic church services when I was involved, at least in the 70s and the early 80s. But when I looked at praise in the Psalms, at what the word itself meant and what its content and functions were, I found out that it had a quite different meaning and purpose. I discovered that this definition by Mark Harding was completely accurate. He says, Praise and commendation result from human assessment of another's qualities, attributes, excellences, or deeds. What is seen is advertised. It is the advertisement, the public acknowledgement and acclamation of the attributes and excellences and deeds of another, which is praise. I'll read that again. Praise and commendation result from human assessment of another's qualities, attributes, excellences or deeds. What is seen is advertised. It's the advertisement, the public acknowledgement and acclamation of the attributes and excellences and deeds of another, which is praise. That's from his article, The Biblical Concept of Praise. In Church Worship and the Local Congregation, edited by Barry Webb, was published in 1987. This is what praise is in the Psalms and in the Bible more generally. Praise is not an expression of our gratitude or awe or adoration or appreciation in response to God's mighty deeds. It's the advertising of those deeds in the presence of others, the public acknowledgement and acclamation of them, as Harding says. When we declare and rehearse and proclaim and tell and describe just how wonderful God is and how awesome his deeds are, then we are praising him. We're letting everyone know around us just how excellent he is, how praiseworthy he is. And because God is indeed very, very praiseworthy, we'll tend to advertise his greatness with everything we've got, with the lyre and the symbols and all the other joyful noisemakers we can throw at the situation. We'll advertise with joy and with celebration and with maximum effect if we can. And, of course, we'll feel gladness and appreciation and love in our hearts as we do so. But what we're really doing when we praise God is we're advertising him to others. Now, what has all this got to do with singing and with making God bigger? Well, I've recently been thinking about the other words that populate our Christian singing. Words like magnify or exalt or glorify. I don't know if you've ever pondered this, but have you ever wondered what we're actually doing when we magnify God or exalt him or glorify him? They're words that we use all the time. They're very Christian in-house kind of jargon words. What do they actually mean? I mean, what was Mary doing when her soul magnified the Lord? 
Well, what was Moses doing for that matter when he led the Israelites to sing, and I will exalt him? I think most of us think about these words largely how I used to think about praise, as kind of self-fulfilling words, so that when I say, I magnify you, O God, then that's what I've just done. I've just magnified him. And ditto with glorify or exalt you. I exalt you, O God, is me exalting God. They're words for us of devotion, of, of Godward attention and love, of turning our souls towards God and expressing how much we love him. And to say these things, to say I glorify you or I exalt you, is to glorify him and exalt him. Except, as with praise, this is not at all what these words mean, uh, either in English or in the Bible. Uh, let's take magnify as an example. To magnify something is to increase it, uh, to cause it to become bigger or greater or larger. In English, we might magnify an image so that it's larger in our sight, or we might magnify a mistake by adding other mistakes to it. And this is also what the words mean in the Bible, that is, the Hebrew and Greek words that we translate magnify. They mean to cause something to be bigger, to become greater or larger in some way, to increase. So the question is, how can we magnify God? How can anything we do make God somehow bigger. Now, we don't really use magnify this way in English anymore, but the biblical magnify words can be used about people. In the biblical usage, you can magnify a person or make them bigger by increasing their honor or their reputation, as it says in the standard Greek lexicon, by causing them to be held in greater esteem. And this is what Mary is doing when she magnifies the Lord, when her soul magnifies the Lord. She recounts all the exceedingly great things that God has done for her and for Israel. And she does this so that all generations will know just how blessed she was by God. She wants God to be held in greater esteem by vast numbers of people to come as they hear about his extraordinary feats and the wonderful things that he's done for her and for his people. That's what it means to magnify God, to make his name and his reputation greater and bigger, the esteem in which he's held by others. And it's the same with exaltation. To exalt something is to make it higher, to lift it up. I received the sad news recently that my cholesterol is a bit exalted, and so it's time very sadly, to ease off the old bacon and eggs. And when I exalt a person, I raise him up in your estimation by telling you all the various high-level things that that person has done. And the more that I lift him up in your eyes, the more that you think highly of him, if I can put it like that, the more I have exalted him. It's the same as magnification. It means to cause God's name to be higher, to be lifted up, by telling other people of his lofty deeds and character so that his whole reputation and name is higher in their sight. And it's the same with glorify as well. I glorify someone by increasing the shininess of their splendor. That's what glory is. Glory is brilliance, splendor. And so when your public profile goes through the roof, thanks to me telling everyone just how brilliant you really are, then I have glorified you 
I've made you more brilliant in everybody's eyes. I've increased your reputation. And we glorify God in much the same way, by raising his public profile, if I can put it like that, by burnishing his reputation. That is, by telling everyone, by making everyone aware just how brilliant God really is. Now, this is why praise and magnify and exalt and glorify, this is why these words often crop up in the same vicinity in the biblical text, especially in the Psalms. They all mean the same kind of thing. They mean to advertise to other people how great God is in his character, in his works, in what he's done, and so to make his fame and his honour larger, to make his reputation higher, to make his splendour and brilliance all the shinier in people's eyes. Now, to be perfectly clear, when we do all these things, magnifying and praising and so on, we do it, of course, with hearts and minds that are overflowing with thankfulness and love for God in response to who he is and all that he's done. We do it because we believe, we really believe, like Mary and all the psalmists, that God is the greatest and highest and most splendid. And so it's not as if there's no personal love or devotion involved in all this. But what we're doing when we praise God, when we magnify him or exalt him or glorify him, is not fundamentally a personal transaction between me and God. What we're doing is we're pointing other people to God. We're increasing his honour and fame by shouting from the rooftops what he has done for us. And perhaps we can now see why corporate singing is such an excellent way to do all these things. It's excellent for at least two reasons. First, singing is a form of speech directed to other people. And all praise and all magnification and glorification requires this. Praise needs an audience. All advertising needs an audience because its aim is to increase the esteem and the honour in which God is held by others. And that happens as they hear you declare his greatness in some way. In the Psalms, this is true even when the praise is addressed to God himself. It's acknowledging to God how great his deeds and character are, but doing so in the presence of others, in the presence of the great congregation, as the Psalms say, so that the rest of the congregation acknowledge this too and hear what God has done thereby increasing the glory of God's reputation. When we're singing together, we're addressing one another, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're telling and reminding and declaring to one another just how great God is, the God we serve in Jesus Christ. And as we do so, we're not only praising and glorifying and exalting God in the way that I've been talking about, but we're also encouraging and edifying each other as well. There's this Godward and one anotherward kind of direction to singing. And we see that interestingly in the very few places that the New Testament actually speaks about singing in Ephesians 5 or Colossians 3. And as we keep speaking about these things, I've just heard my wife start to practice the piano downstairs very appropriately, so there may be a bit of musical accompaniment as we come towards the end of this edition. So that's the first reason that corporate singing is such an excellent way to praise and magnify God, because it's a form of speech. We speak and encourage and address one another with the great truths of God as we sing. But secondly, singing's excellent as a vehicle for magnifying God 
because singing is more than just speech. It's a heightened form of speech. It's emotionally charged speech. It's a more intensive form of communication, I guess you could say. And so it's ideal not just for calmly explaining something, but for shouting something, for expressing with verve and joy and celebration how great this God is. When I sing, I'm doing something more than just talking. I'm putting my whole body into it, my whole body and soul into it. It's a bit like, say, when I hand my passport into the immigration agent, that is a way of declaring that I am an Australian. And it's a fairly bland and impersonal way, in a sense, of declaring that. But when I stand up in the crowd at the cricket and belt out the national anthem, that's a very different way of saying that I'm an Australian. And when you stand next to me at church and you sing with me about the mighty deeds and the glorious character of God, it's a powerful thing. It's a very powerful testimony. It says to me, not just that you think these things are true of God, but that you're so convinced and energized by these truths that you want to stand up and with your whole body sing them out. And you want me to hear and see that. You remind me all over again just how great God is. And he grows larger in my mind and in my heart. I think maybe this is why I've missed singing so much in the last 12 months. Have you missed it? I think most of us have. And perhaps as we start singing again, and God willing that will be soon, we can do it with a fresh vision of what in fact we're doing together. When we sing, we're declaring the great truths of God to each other. We're declaring the word of God to each other. We're advertising the splendid character and works of God to everyone who is present. And the result is that not only are his people edified, but the name and the glory and the honour of God is magnified. Well, there's so much more to say about all of this, but I hope you found those reflections stimulating. For example, there's a lot more to say about praise. I've only really touched very briefly on that point about praise being like advertising. And if you want to find out more about that, I'm going to send around an email later this week as a kind of like a bonus extra uh, containing an article I wrote way, way back in the late 90s on this subject, uh, going into more detail about the nature of praise in the Psalms and uh, presenting the evidence for all of that. So stay tuned for that if you'd like to chase that up a little bit further. That'll come around later this week. I'd also like to do some more thinking at some stage, don't know when, about how all of this relates to the way the Bible thinks about honour and glory and, and reputation, and I guess for that matter, shame and infamy. I suspect we don't always appreciate how significant all this is in the biblical world, how important your name and your reputation is. And perhaps that's why we also don't appreciate the true nature of praise or of magnification or of exaltation as the increasing of someone's name or honour and how huge that is and big and important that is as a theme. I don't think it looms large in our understanding of God and, and of his purposes and of the Christian life, but... I suspect there's probably more to it in the Bible than we think, but that's a discussion for another time. And on a related thought, I've also often wondered how all of this relates to boasting, the kind of strange biblical theme of boasting. It's strange to us because boasting is almost wholly a negative idea in our minds. To boast is not 
to do a good thing. But boasting is quite often positive in the Bible, especially, of course, boasting in the Lord. And it seems to be related to this theme that we've been pursuing, to kind of brag about him to others. It seems to be another way of talking about this idea of praising or boosting or magnifying or exalting God by telling other people and declaring to them and proclaiming to them just how great he is, all the wonderful things he's done. And so there is plenty more to think about, but I hope you found today's reflections interesting and stimulating. Please feel free to share all this with other people, of course. Um, you can flick a link to the this podcast across to someone and share that, or you can go across to the website and you can share the article on the website, uh, the article version of this podcast with anyone you'd like to, and uh, that would be tremendous. Don't forget to write in. I'd love to hear your thoughts about what you think about this whole topic and about whether you think I'm onto something with respect to praise and honour and magnification and all those sorts of things. Uh, and just to give your own reflections and thoughts about how this plays into the nature of what we do in church and how we sing in church and how we think about that, about singing as proclamation, as a declaration to one another of how great God is. Anyway, please get in touch. You can email me at tonyjpain at me.com. Well, that's about all for the time being. Thanks once again for being with me this week on The Painful Truth. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.